following a group of 10 young people in a series of facilitated workshops on issues relating to the climate crisis and the challenges we all face. There is no planet B. This is a journey through the climate crisis on KCLR. If burning fossil fuels was so bad that it threatened our very existence, how could we just continue like before? A journey through the climate crisis is funded by commissioning the man with a television license fee. Hello and welcome back to a journey through the climate crisis. We are on episode five. We are halfway through the documentary series and oh my goodness, the group has learned so much. As well as that, they've taught us plenty. We're all learning from each other through this series, A Journey Through the Climate Crisis. If you want to get in touch and share your thoughts, do so on our Dinners Ready text or WhatsApp 083 306 9696. I'm Shannon Redmond. I will be your narrator throughout the series and I'm going to be going on this journey with you, the listener, and the group from Osiru Youth to learn all that bit more about climate change. Now, this week's episode is based on transport and how we get from A to B. And if there are more environmentally friendly ways to do so, maybe we can take the bus more and so on. So we're going to hear a lot more about that. We have quite a few guests on today's episode, so we're really looking forward to it. But you know the rules. Before we go to transport and our wonderful guests, we need to check in on last week's homework. So welcome back, everyone. How are you? Uh, this week we are going to look at transport and climate change. This week we'll have Mark Tracy joining us from 3CEA to talk about sustainable transport and we've a few other little tricks up our sleeves for the rest of the day. Um, but first maybe we might look back at the homework that you did after last week's session. So last week's homework was for each of your households to pledge three behaviour changes around energy use in the home. So would anyone like to share how that went for you at home? Okay, so um, some of the pledge changes that I made in my house were to turn off all the lights when leaving the room and turn off the TV. We were already pretty good in that, but just to re-establish that and make sure that everybody followed it. As well as that, we also had for energy uses to use the car less and um, use public transportation more, which is something we all work towards, especially since it was so sunny. We tried to walk places more um, and we actually recently got a hybrid car as well. So that's pretty good. Um, and the other one was just to turn off the tap when you're brushing and to take showers more rather than baths, which is something we prioritise as well. And then just recycle properly, which is not relating to energy, but it's important nonetheless. And so, yeah, those are the climate pledges that we took in my house for the week. That's brilliant. So did, did everyone in the family buy in to it, Mita? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, we've already done all these things already in the house. It was just about re-establishing it and making sure everybody was doing it. And yeah, it wasn't that hard to make a small change, but it did have a big impact. So I think if everybody, everybody were to do these climate pledges in their homes, it would make a big difference. Fantastic. Thanks, many Mita. That's brilliant. So the things that me and my household did is that is that I we um, spoke about like our food. So like... In my household, to put some perspective, two people eat just about anything, and there's one picky eater, a.k.a. me. So, anyway, I was able to express and, like, let people know what I what I wanted, and, you know, meal times were way easier, and we didn't have to buy as much food. We are just in food miles, so yay, everyone's happy. And another thing, we, we, were, more, we were more, um, I guess, sustainable with our lights. Like, even though we were in the room, we didn't keep them on all the time. So I live in a household with two of my Gen 
Generation X parents, they have a habit of keeping the lights on when they don't need to. I find it silly, but like to them it makes sense. So I I'd often like I come to the rooms at random moments, and I'm like, do you really need the lights on? Then I turn it off so I don't have to get up and. That's something that we were working on, like, you know the saying, you can throw a horse into, into a river, but you can't make it grow gills, you know? <laughs> and yeah, we're getting there, we're making progress. That's the main thing. Yeah, so it definitely is hard for people to adapt to new ways of thinking, isn't it? But it sounds that you're being a, a great advocate for, for energy change in the home. Now moving on, statistics are used to help figure out the seriousness of things and just how bad things are. And Jacinta has some stats about transport that might just shock you. So as you know, we're going to be talking to Mark Tracy in a few minutes about sustainability and transport. Um, But I suppose just to give you some stats as well, um, it's estimated that the transport sector accounted for almost 18% of Ireland's greenhouse gas emissions in 2020 across road, rail, aviation, marine and waterborne transport. So what do you think of those statistics? Well, I think a good start uh, as for what the government could do would be to actually fulfil its obligation to have, what was it, 80% of all rural people having a bus was it, three times a day into the nearest town by 2030. Don't quote me on that one, <laughs> but that would be a good start. More public transport. And yeah, aside from that, we really need to work on our transport emissions because, as Jacinta said, it's quite a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I find those statistics pretty um, alarming because 18% is a lot. And I think we need to focus on improving transport infrastructure around even urban areas to make sure that people can cycle or walk to school instead of having to get the car because they are physically not able to do so because of the infrastructure that there is. Definitely, I want me to. 18% is not a lot and it's pretty scary considering where we're at with the whole climate crisis. And especially when you add the whole accessibility topic into it then it becomes harder because well not many people are able to cycle because most physically can't and like there are other solutions like carpooling and whatnot but we're also using cars to get on the road and it's also a very great area and it's very ugh. i'm not sure but we could definitely improve i think another issue personally is that um well now i should probably say for a bit of context we're recording this in kilkenny and I myself live in rural Kilkenny, so I might be a tad biased, <laughs> but I think things seem to be very Dublin-centric, which makes sense. It's the capital of Ireland. But a lot of transport in rural areas, you need a car, because, quite frankly, there's no other option except walking, and that'll take hours. So, um, yeah, rural transport. We need more rural transport that is, you know, more environmentally friendly than just a car, and... We need a lot of services that aren't just transport as well. Because, say, for example, you need to go to Dublin to go to a doctor's appointment, say. Now, not everyone needs to, but like for certain diseases, like, you know, it's just the way it works out. However, um, your options are you can either get a train at like half seven for an appointment that's at three. Or you can take a car. So, you know, that you're going to take the car. So I think that, you know... A lot more resources needs to be put into rural Ireland. 
thanks everyone for for your input and I, I agree with everything and I'd love if we were able to pass on some of these thoughts and opinions to higher up along the chain so that they can actually hear as well um, how important these issues are. So before this week's guest speakers come along, we want to have some fun with the group and set them a little challenge. They love to get deep into the challenges here. So we have done just that and given them this one. Moving on now, what we'd like to do first uh, before we have our guest speaker coming in is a little bit of an icebreaker game because we know from previous episodes that you guys are great for getting involved in stuff. So the challenge myself and Ruth are going to put to you is, and we won't give you a lot of time on this because we need to put you on the spot. We would like you to come up with as many modes of transport from around the world that you can think of. So you need to collectively start talking and see how many modes of transport there are out there. Off you go. Okay, so how did the list go? Yeah, so we got um, 20 in total. Um, We were under strict time pressure, so um, I'll be reading out the first few. So we had train, bus, flights, car, motorbike. And we also had bicycles, walking, running, jogging and rickshaws. We had boats, ships, cruises, trams and underground. Then we had... um, Helicopter, skiing, rollerblade, skateboard and sleds. And we also have puddle puddle boarding, canoeing, kayaking, swimming and the monorail. Super list. Uh, what ones do you think might be relatable to Kilkenny? City or rural? Walking, the car, the bus, because we do have buses now. And there is a train. And people do go on foreign flights, so I suppose flying. Great. So as I mentioned, we do have a few guests on this week's episode. The more, the merrier, I say. But we're going to kick off with our first guest speaker. It is Mark Tracy from South East Energy Agency. Bit of a tongue twister, that one. But he's the first up to chat with the group. Well, lads, my name is Mark Tracy. I work for the South East Energy Agency in Kilkenny. I'm, my role is a, a graduate energy engineer I graduated college in Waterford just last year. I am responsible for carrying out energy audits on non-domestic buildings, pretty much businesses, and recommending energy upgrades for them to reduce costs and emissions, pretty much. So, Mark, uh, for the listeners, just in case they don't know, totally not that we don't know, (laughs) what is an energy audit? So, in simple terms, I will go into a building or a business, I'll count every light in the place, every electrical appliance, write down their electrical load, their wattage, how much they demand, um, look at their heating system, how their water is heated, how it's separated, how it's controlled. From there, I'll go back, put it all into a big Excel workbook and try to work out how much you're using annually and then based on my recommended upgrades, how much you will save on energy, CO2 and costs ultimately. And then from that, you use your audit to help you get grant funding from the government, pretty much. And what would some of your recommendations be to these companies to reduce their energy um, usage? Good question. We always go with a fabric-first approach. So a fabric is insulation, windows, doors, attic insulation and stuff like that. So that's usually our first go-to from there, you'd recommend a heating system, which is usually, depending on the building type, a heat pump or biomass is what we recommend lately. 
from there you, you we always have a PV recommendation and that's based sized on your uh, base load for your building so it's the energy you'll use regardless if you're in the building or not stuff that's on 24/7 all the time um and other than these big changes in companies what are like some small changes that you can make in the household to make it more energy efficient so we tried there for some local authorities we try to introduce a switch off system literally put posters on the walls to just remind people to turn off plugs and switches when they're leaving the building simple stuff like that lighting is actually a really a really good one uh save you a lot of money and it's not too expensive leds are brilliant in comparison to fluorescent lights and stuff you'll actually save a fortune if you look into it depending on how many lights you have but they're a good start in terms of transport we have a greener hgv program it's a greener heavy goods vehicles program where it's kind of a behavioral change with transport companies and their drivers so we have done a pilot project in 2016 where we monitored the fuel consumption and the co2 emissions from a certain company and we found the findings of the of the report is that they can save 10 percent on fuel costs which will result in co2 savings and energy savings um and the savings are mainly due to harsh acceleration harsh braking and leaving the engine running when there's no need for it which happens all the time especially in construction uh operators waiting for lads to move stuff just leave the engine running all the time waste of energy waste of time so from there we provide advice and video training to transport companies which helps them they educate their drivers on how not to brake really harshly how softly you should accelerate and decelerate and just switch off the engine if you're idle for more than two minutes um we also have monitoring software and equipment that they install in the trucks themselves so if the driver accelerates too hard, there's a monitoring system in the engine. It'll beep in the cab to tell you you're going, you're accelerating too hard or braking too hard. Uh, so the driver knows to either not brake as hard or not go as fast, pretty much. Um, tachographs, they monitor the tachographs. So the tachographs is the, the piece of paper they'll put into the trucks to mon- it monitors their mileage, how much they're driving. So if you go over, like the drivers are meant to have brakes, I'm not too sure, of the kilometres after so many kilometres you're meant to have a break and have a rest or have a cup of coffee or whatever in return so it'll beep again if you're going over or coming close to your mileage it'll beep to let you know as well so that's pretty much the greener HGV programme and for local authorities lately we're trying to help them switch their internal combustion engine vehicles to either electrical vehicles or HVO which is vegetable oil um, the smaller say post office vans and stuff like that would be EVs but say large machinery like um, tire machines and the big roller machines electricity might not be good enough for them so HVO is an option for them so we're trying to get the local authorities to switch from internal combustion engines to these other alternatives. And when it comes to the monitors um, how common would they be just in general? Not common at all to be honest. Uh, like saying in private cars the newer ones have a start-stop system so that if you're in neutral, your car will cut off if you're at a stoplight for, until you go into first gear or whatever. In my college for my dissertation, I recommended why don't to do that for construction machinery for when they're idle. Um, in my opinion, yes, but it's again, it's a behavioural change. I find the majority of the challenge here is a behavioural change among people themselves and trying to educate them properly on how to do this sort of stuff. So. Um, yeah, you're talking about behavioural changes and how to educate people. And I know uh, idling is a big problem. So how do you like make people aware of this? Because I don't think many people know how big of a problem it is and how much energy it wastes. I'll just give you a rough figure. for I can just relate it back to my dissertation. I got 
transport data from a company and the data suggested a quarter of the 25% of the time the engine was running idle. So you could relate that into a quarter of your fuel cost would be savings and a quarter of that would be kilowatt hour savings and CO2 savings. So that's how I related it in my, in my project. That was based on one vehicle per six months. So I just averaged that for the 12 months and if they had 10 vehicles, it can result in huge savings. You mentioned training, so like, how would you or would you uh, would you teach that to like kids in school or secondary school? It, it would be a good start for me personally. I didn't get my driver license till recently enough. Some people have it before they finish leaving cert. Some people don't. It's just how it is. I think it probably should be implemented in your lessons when you're doing the twelve lessons. It would be a good start. Uh, you're talking a lot about like internal changes that you can make within the car, so the engine and the idling and all that. But how do you promote other sustainable methods of transportation? Um, and I know you mentioned infrastructure when you first came in. So how would you like uh, make the infrastructure more accessible and easier so people can travel like cycling and walking and stuff like that? Good question. For example, in Wa- I'm from Watford myself. Um, recently they installed, uh, TFI installed the bikes uh, on the quay and near the, there's other stations around in the city one's near the the college I think one's out by the arena the, the, I think it's like with your leap car you can tap on use your bike and then leave it at another station that, that I don't see them used a lot but I think it is a good idea um, public transport <laughs> I was oh, I lived on the bus I used to go buses everywhere uh, you could just walk to places don't drive buy a, get a bike cycle around and I'm lazy I can't really be saying telling people to go cycling or nothing but it is a way to reduce our emissions and stuff. Okay, so we're going to move on to what grants are available then from the government. So from the 1st of July this year, you you used to be able to get €5,000 of a grant towards your electric vehicle. But from the 1st it was reduced, the 1st of July it was reduced to €3,500. Um, it's still an incentive, but I don't think it's a, great, it's a good enough one to get people to buy into the EVs. Um, if you have your own electric vehicle, you can get €600 from the government towards installing your own home charger um, and you can get reduced toll costs based on t- your type of vehicle and your battery and stuff like that. Do you think that there should be more incentives for not just EVs but just for public transport in general? Yeah, 100%. I agree with you. Even like loyalty points or bonus points you could have on your um, your leap card or whatever, you could build up loyalty points to get you a discount on clothing brands or stuff like that there's loads of incentives they could be using like that. yeah I agree with you they should be doing more like that um, yeah you said that the uh, in the grant for EVs was reduced but do you know what the reason for that is because I thought that we were talking before and it's the accounts for the transport accounts for 18% of the total um, emissions that I would have thought the government would increase the grant instead of decreasing it to incentivize more people but I think this is because the overall cost of EV vehicles in general is reducing so the grant is reducing uh, relative to the price of the EVs reducing to. I think that um, public transport and buses are a feasible option for people. Yes and no, so it depends on the location. Myself, I'm from a rural country, a rural village, there's not a lot of public transport, but yeah, it depends on the infrastructure of the buses, and, the, and I know they're struggling to get bus drivers now, lately they're struggling to get drivers. Um, it really depends on the, your location in the country, really, to how how lo- you could say you're lucky to have public transport, really. So I didn't have that. Like, I had to get my granny to drive me around the town. Like, yeah, we were actually just talking about that before, how on how hard it is for people in rural Ireland to get around. So, do you think there's any like infrastructure changes or personnel changes that could be made to make it easier for those people? 
Yes, I definitely do. So rail lines. I struggled for me to get to college from home. There's no direct rail route. I'd have to go from, I'm originally from Tipperary, Roscrae, so I'd go from there to there to Limerick and then from Limerick to Waterford. It's probably like two and a half hours, three hours on a, bus, on a train. Or I could get a bus that was kind of set up privately that would have so many students on it that would go between Roscrae and Waterford and it'd stop in all the neighbouring towns throughout. And that was kind of cheap. But I was lucky enough, I had a friend who, from the town, it literally my neighbour, who used to bring me and two other, we'd carpool. If I didn't have him, I don't know how I would have got to college half the time, to be honest. Like. Um, yeah, so that's a really good option for rural areas, but also like for urban areas, I feel like, um, especially in Kenny City, we were talking about this again before, um, and the infrastructure just isn't up to par to people to travel sustainably. Like the bicycle paths and the roads aren't safe to travel on. So like, how would you uh, try to implement these changes and make sure that they're more sustainable? Again, I would kind of relate it back to behavioural changes in education, really. Like, again, in when you're doing your driving lessons, you're not really told of how to prepare when you're coming up to a cyclist in a certain lane or how to react or how to drive when you meet a, a load of cyclists in a road, taking up the road, what do you do? Yeah, education, I would say, that you should probably implement into the uh, when you're doing your lessons or whatever. So again, where I'm suggesting educational changes and behavioural changes, the HGV programme where we're giving them videos and tutorials on how to be more efficient drivers and how to better manage your fuel consumption and stuff is kind of a thing we'd implement to help the uh, education part of it or learning part for people to be just aware of how to not not drive excessively, I guess. Uh, what, what does a day in your work look like? So a typical day, I try to schedule at least one site visit a week for an energy audit. So I'll go to a... A building, I'll survey it, I mentioned already, I'll survey all the electrical equipment, appliances and stuff, generate, uh, use my workbook to create calculations and match their build data. From there I compile a report with energy efficient upgrade measures. That will probably take me a week to do, but in a day you could spend the whole day on Excel trying to work out your calculations in the workbook before you leave in touch Word to put it in a report. It Again, it depends on the size of the building, how the quality of the build data you get, we kind of want a full year or two years, really. Like some people could give you two months of 21 and two months of 22. It depends on the data I get, but... Um, yeah, it, it can. It takes a long time, like, but... Um, like, from my point of view, I could do an audit. So I visit today, I'll have all the calculations and report done by tomorrow evening. So hypothetically, if people wanted to, could they just go to you directly for help as an audit? Or how do people do that? So it's a bit of both, really. So yes, people come to us for help to do an energy audit or to help them get grant funding or whatever. So yes, but then in other projects, we might be invited to tender, to do a tender for that, to for if we were to take on a job, how much we charge and all that stuff. So it's a bit of both. Yes, people come to us, but we also reach out to people. So in terms of, I was actually at Building Better Business event last week in Waterford, last Friday I was in the Witterina, really good event loads of local businesses around and it was all that the, each business was talking about their energy reduction journey and how they went about and digitalizing their products and all it was really good it was really good and so from there people came and asked those questions and that will re- result in them coming back to us to do an audit or whatever so yeah bit of both bit of both 
Uh, so we were talking, and uh, Jacinta was mentioning a statistic. So, like, it is estimated that the transport sector accounted for almost 18% of Ireland's greenhouse gas emissions in 2020 across road, rail, aviation, marine, and waterborne transport. So what kind of work would you be doing in the company to combat this? I'll always go back to the green and HGV thing. It's just an easy one to go to. Or the work we're trying to do at local authorities to get them to transition to greener alternatives, electric vehicles or HVOs or hydrogen. I didn't mention hydrogen at all. Again, lack of infrastructure for hydrogen. You can probably cut and chop the same wherever you want. There's a really lack of infrastructure in Ireland for hydrogen. I was at, we, there was an EU event about three weeks ago in town where we had different EU partners come in and we talked about their challenges as well with having hydrogen uh, infrastructure and stuff implemented and their like their challenges with pipelines and how much of a fuel mix you can add. To, you can mix natural gas with hydrogen and have a fuel mixture that's kind of a bit greener or whatever, but still not great, but... Yeah, so there's no infrastructure really for hydrogen at the moment and it's uncertain about health and safety and how actually safe it is for transportation and stuff. Do you see hydrogen becoming more prevalent in the future then with that stuff in mind, health and safety and, you know, the fact that we'd have to build up the infrastructure from scratch? We want to have to implement some sort of infrastructure anyway, regardless is the way I look at it. So, yes, the more they research into it, I can see it being a viable option. I think some people like the habit of actually putting physical fuel into your car, which that is a part of it as well. The hydrogen is through hydrolysis. You electrify water and it releases hydrogen. You capture that. That's it. So it can be compressed then into a, a liquid, which is, is the same. It's the same sort of behavioural sort of stuff. You're still fueling your car, but it's a, a greener alternative. What exactly is the goal of the Greener HGV programme? So our ultimate goal is to reduce the company each company's fuel uh, consumption by 10%. Some companies have, meet, have met that already, some companies have gone in the opposite direction somehow and, and have used more. Again, it's probably down to monitoring equipment and the education or whatever, but yeah, the end goal is a 10% reduction, total 10% reduction across all of them combined, a total reduction of 10% across all the companies. So if one is up really well and one is down really well, it might balance themselves out. So. They were some really interesting facts from Mark and it really makes you think about ways that you can help the climate with your vehicle. And Tyg Madden of Carlow County Council had that exact thought and went fully electric with his vehicle. The group caught up with him a little earlier. She's What was it like to switch to an electric car? Um, yeah, it was an interesting one because I would have worked in Port Leash before this. So I was commuting probably an hour every day, driving a two-litre diesel. And then when I got the job in Carlow, um, my commute was down to, what, 35 kilometres a day. And my average speed was only about 50 kilometres an hour. So I was worried about the diesel particle filter going in my car. But also I looked at uh, the benefits of electric in that it's an awful lot cheaper to run. Um, now I, I know I work in the environment section and I meant to be thinking of the carbon savings but I was thinking of more the monetary savings you'd make so if you're driving a diesel car to do my commute was working out about 30 euro a week but when I switched over to electric it was working out 3 euro a week so there was a huge saving there um, then the electricity went up so it nearly doubled so I'm at 6 euro a week now it's, <laughs> it's crazy money but it, it's um it's still more cost-effective to, to, to run, you know, and I added solar at home there recently, so I'm able to charge the car off the solar, and I managed to go nearly two weeks there 
uh, completely off grid for my commute uh, in the good weather it's not so great now though but yeah they're they're some of the main benefits lovely to drive as well they're automatic um, they have lots of gadgets on board they're they're really relaxing to drive um, I went with a smaller battery because of a smaller commute um, you know the bigger the battery you go the more expensive the car gets so need to stay I went with the smallest battery you could get but uh, that's my journey so far so um, with the smallest battery possible if you know off the top of your head what what would be the range of your car then yeah so I went with a 40 kilowatt battery so my range is 230 kilometers in the summertime that drops considerably in the wintertime so when it's colder it uh, it drops the range so you get about 180 190 kilometers during the uh, winter but the thing is to charge little and often so there's no need for me to have an 80 kilowatt battery um because I'm never going to be tra- travelling 400 kilometres in a in in one day, you know. So as I said, the very odd time I might do 100 kilometres. Um, so what I do is I probably charge for an hour a night, charge little enough, and keep it between 40% and 80%, and I never get caught. And the big thing for me is I haven't used the public chargers yet, and I've been driving it probably 15 months now. Um, the public chargers are extortionate in cost, so they probably are on a par with diesel and petrol if you're if you have no home charger with a night rate. So that's something to think about if anyone is switching over. And uh, when it comes to those chargers, actually, say if you were to make, I don't know, go on a holiday and go on a long commute, say you were going, I don't know, Donegal or somewhere. <laughs> um, do you think, well, I know you said you haven't used any yet, but do you think that there would be enough charges to facilitate that then? Funnily enough, I'm just back from a week in Donegal, so I was keeping an eye on what the charges were like. And where I was, there wasn't really much infrastructure there. I was really in uh, probably the very west of Donegal, probably an hour north of Donegal town, so it was fairly remote. There was no charging infrastructure up that far, but there was a certain amount of it along the way. Um, I don't think I would have made it on my car because the battery's too small. If I had um, a bigger battery, I probably would have had to make a couple of stops and charge up for an hour on the fast chargers. The problem with the majority of the cars are they've, the car's uh, technology is behind the public infrastructure of the public chargers in that you know most cars can only charge at seven and a half kilowatts an hour, even though the charger could be a 50 kilowatt or 150 kilowatt charger, it'll still only charge at the same speed. So I probably need seven, eight hours to fully charge my car. So if I'm going to Donegal, it probably would have taken me a week to get there in my car. So I think if um, you work local, it's it's a no-brainer, but if you have a second car in the family, definitely diesel or petrol for that if you have to go further afield. Uh, what is your favourite thing about the electric car? Um that I can charge it off the solar panels I suppose and you know when the sun is is out in all its glory it means I can travel to and from work for free which is uh, which is very good but um, we've had the uh, wettest July on record now there hasn't been much cloud available and it hasn't been great in that respect but look I still have the night rate and it still makes it cheaper um, and look it's it's helping to save the environment as well you don't have the same emissions which is another benefit um but uh yeah that'd be my favorite thing about it do you think people will go full electric soon i'm up in the air about this and i'm fairly conflicted about it um i'd say it's 50 50 at the minute the public infrastructure 
charges are just too expensive for people to to make the jump. Um, if you have a home charger, great, and the night rate, great. But like the price for electricity is going up all the time. So like uh, soon. If I look at it this way, if you're only using public um, chargers, it's on a power with diesel and petrol. There's no point in changing. The cars are twice as expensive. Even here in the local authority, we're looking at changing to electric fleet, but to hire an electric van is twice the cost of its diesel equivalent, which doesn't make sense. But then you'll save back the cost of fuel. But, um, you know, there's, there's lots of challenges there, but I, I don't know if it is the future, to be honest. Would you say then that the government should give more financial incentives to promote electric vehicles, particularly in rural areas? Yeah, yeah, the grants are not great. You know, I I don't think the government are doing enough. Um, if you look in other countries, they're giving massive uh, grants to change the renewables, to have renewable heating in your home, renewable electricity. And for uh, EVs, if you look over to Finland, they're, they're nearly all driving on EV. But here we're way behind the times. I think the government are even after having the grant to buy a new EV, and they're just they're just so expensive. It's 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 beyond belief to try and understand that the government think we're going to have a million EVs on the road by 2030. It's it's just not going to happen um, until they 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 need to get more creative with the funding structures available. To be honest. It's really good for the group to hear different opinions from different people. And their third and final guest speaker of this episode is CEO of KCLR, John Purcell, who decided to ditch the car and bought a bike to get around locally. Let's hear how that's going for him. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride my bike. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride it where I... So, what made you decide to dispose of the car? I was thinking about it for a long time. I knew that the car was expensive. I knew it was uh, environmentally damaging. I knew that there were alternatives, but it had been something that I just kept putting on the long finger. And I suppose COVID came along and life changed. And then I just thought, you know what, this is an opportunity to change my mode of transport into and out of work. And I'll play it by ear and see how I can just deal with the other stuff. I have to say uh, that we were lucky. My wife uh, also had a car, so we were a two-car family. So I just said I'd see how I'd get on uh, or how we'd get on being a one-car family and uh, took the plunge. um, Didn't sell the car or dispose of the car for a while, um, but just dipped my toe into it during COVID, found that I liked walking to work or cycling to work and uh, then took the plunge and became a one-car family. How did you find the bike? It's very good, I suppose. Uh, One of the big things is um, the weather. Uh, But you know what they say about the weather, there's no bad weather, just bad clothing. So um, I already had, um, you know, kind of leggings uh, and stuff and a light rain jacket. So I just made sure to bring them with me. And while we spend a lot of time uh, talking about how bad the weather is and all that kind of stuff, when you have to get from A to B. You know, usually the weather can be okay if you dress for it or if you wait a few minutes minutes until the rain uh, blows over. I found, I find um, having a weather app uh, on my phone is really good in terms of planning uh, when to walk, when to cycle and so on. And there's also, you know, a city service on a bus which stops outside KCLR so I can use that at times. I don't use it very many times so it's just another option. Uh, did the weather impact it much? 
Um, not really. I suppose having a, a flexibility between, um, uh, you know, being able to work from home. If the weather's really bad, sometimes I might choose to work from home. I also have to say that uh, where I work in Casey Law, we do have some pool vehicles. So if I'm really stuck, I can use a pool vehicle to get from A to B or go to work appointment or something like that. Um, so there are options. Um, funnily enough, uh, sometimes I can find the hot weather uh, harder than the cold or wet weather to actually, if you know, if you're walking in and it's a three quarters of an hour walk up hills and the sun is pelting down, you can be a bit kind of sweaty at the end of it. But, you know, all that can be managed. How did it impact your life? Well, number one, um, I found the headspace is good. Um, I'd actually look forward to a walk home at the end of the day. I'd look forward to a cycle because both of them are invigorating. They're healthy. Um, they also give you a bit of headspace. Uh, you know, I can listen to the radio. I can make phone calls. I can even do my emails as I'll be walking along. Uh, that's only for walking now, I, I stress. Um, they give you a bit of a gap between, um, you know, work and home. Uh, which is good. That's all positive. Sometimes, you know, if you're working until six and uh, then I go to walk home, it means I might be home a bit later rather than just hopping in a hopping in a car uh, and so on. But, you know, there are pluses and minuses. But overall, I'd say that the pluses outweigh the minuses. Did you find public transport easy to use and to get around with? Was it accessible? I did. Um, you know, it's a novel. It's been a novel thing. I've used it particularly in bad weather. Uh, again, um, I think it's useful to know the specific times because they tend to be about a half an hour gap between um, when the bus uh, comes and goes. So there's not much point missing the bus by two minutes and having to wait around for 28 minutes until another one comes along. So it's pretty important to know when the bus is going to come along. And generally speaking, it's on the half hour uh, outside KCLR. So if I'm going to use public transport, that's when I uh, when I decide to do it. But my, my preference is to walk or cycle if I can. Is it something you could see yourself doing long term? Hopefully. I mean, uh, if you take the start of COVID, like it's three years now at this stage, so it's just become a habit. Um, uh, so I've got used to it and hopefully as long as I remain in good health, um, that'll be the, the case. It is worth saying as well that you do have to have your wits about you when you're um, traveling by bicycle particularly. I have ha fallen off my bike twice um, so you do need to be careful. So as well as rain gear, it's a good idea to get a helmet as well and also to invest from time to time in uh, getting your bike serviced uh, you know, because you are using it a lot it's out in the weather um, and so on. So it's just uh, you know, was, it, there is a bike to work scheme which is a really good value so people, um, I'd advise people, you know, do take the plunge you know, I think taking the plunge is a very important thing because I literally had been talking about it for years. So so you just have to, I have um, uh, talked to people who said, oh, I would cycle to work if the bicycle lanes were better. There are cycle lanes. They're not, um, they're not ideal. They're not perfect. But I think perfection can be the the enemy of getting things done. And if we're waiting for the conditions to be perfect before we go try and tackle climate change I think it'll be too late Would you recommend others to do it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there's the uh, plus for the environment. I think there's plus for your own personal health. The exercise is good. Um, I think uh, that there's the cost element. A bike is cheaper to run than um, a motor vehicle. Um, there's the headspace and the well-being bit of it and so on. There is the bit of you have to, you know, having a car which you can just hop into and go anywhere um, is uh, handy. But then again, you know, you don't get to suffer from road rage and you don't, you know, you you, you avoid the, the hassle of that many drivers uh, can have. Although from time to time on the bike, you know, you can be a bit frustrated at motorists uh, who pull out into bike lanes or cut across you or stuff like that. But overall, I'd recommend it. Um, you know, like everything, uh, there are issues. There are sometimes you'd be going like, God, it is wet today. It is miserable and so on. But I think there's no such thing as bad weather. It's just bad gear. Very interesting. I would love to be able to get a bike and cycle around instead of driving, especially in the summer. So definitely something to consider. Bikes and public transport could be the future. It's time to give the group one final challenge before we let them go for the evening. And this one involves splitting the guys into two separate groups to come up with ways to make their transport more sustainable. So for the next activity, I'd like to know who lives in an urban area and who lives rurally. I think I know already, I know, Matthew, you've just said that you live rurally. How about everybody else? Mida, you, you live in the urban area? Yeah, I live yeah. in urban. I live in Kilkenny City. Okay. I kind of live on the edge of like rural and urban. Uh, I live rural. I live in Kells. I'm a city girl. I live right in Kilkenny City. <laughs> so for this activity, I'm going to ask the people who live in an urban area and the people that live in a rural area just to come together and look at what your what your real transport options are. It's been spoken about a little bit already and um, what is available to you. And then we'll look, we'll challenge each group as to how you can make your transport and how you get around more sustainable. How about that? So if we broke it into maybe some urban media and Chesi together, and then we'll have three in the in the rural group. So Matthew, Richard and Emma. I've seen a lot of the boat bikes around the place. Those are really helpful, but again, the the sizes and whatnot for those things, like I can't even use them. So it seems kind of silly, but they're there if anyone needs them. Yeah, no, I agree. So the boat bikes are definitely an option for people living in urban areas. But also walking is pretty accessible, I think, because if you live in town, I mean, it's not that hard to walk around. And the bus... But the bus is like really helped. Like, um, there's one like right outside my house, so I can go to town. Um, and yeah, car is also an option. The one that we shouldn't be using so often, um, because there are a lot of options in urban areas. And then we have train if you want to get to other counties as well. So, I think urban area the transport is pretty good. The only thing that needs to be worked on is the infrastructure to make the um, cycling and walking more accessible. Like I said before. Definitely. I feel like the sidewalks and the pavements are way too, like, narrow. And I can't go anywhere without trying to finagle my way through bins and whatnot. Definitely. And even uh, me and Chesie are both on the Green Schools Committee in Laredo, Kilkenny. And we performed um, a walkability audit around Laredo to see how many people can actually um, accessibly get transport to school that's sustainable. And we found that a lot of people don't 
like cycle to school or are afraid to cycle to school just because they don't want to be on the road and they find it scary and there's no proper pathway to, for them to come to school while they're cycling. So I think that's definitely an issue that needs to be addressed. Definitely. Also, carpooling seems super fun, especially when you add karaoke into the mix. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Um, carpooling and park and stride are both really good options as well if you live a bit far and you can't use these uh, methods of transportation that we've just mentioned. So you can like park somewhere and then walk a part of the way to school or wherever you need to be. And then carpooling as well, as you said, is very good, yeah. Just like send it into the group chat and see what's what, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I don't live too far out of town like it's about maybe a 15 15 20 minute walk to get into like a garage but like so like i think for like close urban or close rural you could have like bicycles or like the lewis might also work like uh from the train station to around the city center in dublin that would work well generally where i am and i imagine for most people your only real option is to drive if you want to get anywhere fast because, um, you know, we don't have buses or at least, well, ring-a-link maybe, depends. Um, but, yeah, I think if a bus is available, which maybe you'd probably have to arrange that privately, then you might be able to use that. But, well, at the minute, the options seem kind of limited outside of that. So I live quite a bit out and I get the bus every day to school. And it's all right now, but your only real options are either a bus to school, a car, and that's it, like, really, for me. That's great, everyone. Thanks a million. There's a very definite difference, isn't there, between living in an urban and a rural area. Um, seems to be a lot of difficulties or, or barriers for people living in rural areas to be able to to be more sustainable or climate-friendly in how you get around the place. Um, the town bus is great though I have to say had no car myself for a couple of months and I used that um, but no that was that was really it was a great discussion so thanks a million everyone for for your input we are going to check in shortly on the homework that we have for the guys but first it's that time of the week to check in with Trish for the Climate Curiosities Climate Curiosities exploring the wonders of our changing world Last year in Ireland, over 19% of all that pollution came from how we move around. But we can help. Instead of always using our own cars, we can take buses, trains or share rides. That way, we're not making as much of that pollution. So, remember, every time we decide how to get from A to B, we're also choosing what kind of air we're breathing and what kind of planet we're leaving for the future. Small changes like picking greener ways to travel can make a big positive difference. Let's hit the road with the planet in mind. Climate Curiosities, exploring the wonders of our changing world. Now we set the group quite a few challenges this evening, so you'd think we'd let them home homework free, but turns out they quite enjoy the homework. So of course, we're going to give them some more homework this week. So here is what they have to do for next week. Okay, everyone, as you know, we love to give out a little bit of a homework, a bit of a challenge at the end of every episode. So this week, what we would like each of you to do is to identify three ways uh, to reduce your own personal transport carbon footprint. So have a think about that and whether it's you or someone at home in your family that you could convince to do something a little bit differently. And we'll check in next week to see how you get on. 
So the group have their homework and they are set on their ways for next week. Join us next week at the same time, the same place, where we will be focusing on food waste and you will be shocked at the amount of food households in Ireland waste each year. We'll be chatting about all that and more on next week's episode. Chat then. You've been listening to a journey through the climate crisis on KCLR. To hear this episode again and more, download the KCLR app. A journey through the climate crisis is funded by Commissioner Man with a television license fee.